Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Show. I am Matt Straub. It is Thursday, August 12th. We have four weeks to go until the season opening kickoff. And today we're going to be looking at some players that our crew has not been drafting a lot, but we are afraid that overlooking them could be a big mistake. I'm joined by Pat Doherty, Pat Corain, and Kyle Dvorak. And let me just say off the top here, guys, last week I went out of my way to praise Denny Carter for being here every Thursday throughout the summer, never missing an episode. I called him our rock. I told him I was proud of him. These aren't not things I throw around lightly. And then he responded, there are two things he never does. He says he never logs off and he never misses podcasts. Cut to seven days later, he is not here. This is unbelievable. I, I am floored, speechless. One could argue it's a fireable offense. Well, I have an update on that front. So, you know, before the show today, I was telling you guys, I didn't know if I'd be here on time. That's because I was finalizing Denny's severance papers with oh, HR. Finally. Um, no, so I thought, here's the deal. We thought we had it finally taken care of, but then right before the show, I got a text from his lawyers, you know, his fleet of Maryland corporate lawyers and uh, shocker, it's not going through yet again. So he's, he is not on the show today, but he will unfortunately be back. And that actually explains the blood dripping from your mouth too, which if you turn in, <laughs> if you tune into YouTube, I know like most people listen to this just audio, but if you actually tune in, you could see that the, uh, it was like a vicious fight to give you, give uh, Danny the severance papers. This was over the phone. And at some point my eyes just started to bleed. I see. I see. Okay. A family thing, quote unquote. Uh, um, I'm sure that's real, but I got to uh, make a real quick comment, by the way, most people who are listening to this uh, are going to hear this an audio, but on video form, Pat Crane, a man of class, has taken Pat and allowed me to have Patrick on our display names. So he's going by Pat. I'm going by Patrick. Pat Crane is just a man of a complete class. I've gone by Pat my whole life. So <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I also go by Pat. I've wrestled most of the morning with how I'm going to handle the, the nomenclature with you two. So I think we have our solution, Pat. Patrick Doherty will be Patrick and Pat Corain will be Pat. Yeah, don't call me Patrick. Call me Pat. Call Corain Corain. That's, that's, that's fine. Okay. That's fine. That's I will okay. respond when you say Pat, and I'm sorry for that in advance, but uh, but that will work. We're yeah, working through it. Littered with traps, but we'll try to get through it. Let's get started. Uh, again, these are, these are players that we, for the most part, have not been drafting. Are you wagging your finger at me, Pat Doherty? I was wagging my finger at Kyle Dvorak, um, who had okay. changed his display name to Pat. Oh, uh, boy. Sorry to interrupt the intro. But it's good Kyle, visual that's okay for the podcast. Yeah, Kyle's being a troublemaker. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. These are players that we, for the most part, have not been drafting. But there is that nagging thought of, I probably should be drafting that guy more. So we're overlooking these guys for whatever reason. As, as we get started, I was thinking that if we made a poster for every episode of this podcast, for starters, that would be an incredible waste of resources. But secondly, one of the guys on the poster for this episode would be Robert Woods. Pat Corain, oh, I'm supposed to call you Corain. That is the first guy on your list, and I think it's a great starting point. So tell us why 
you've been missing out on Bob Woods and why you're concerned that might be a mistake. The reason I keep missing out on him is because he's the most expensive of a tier where I like everyone else in the tier more, which is going to be a recipe for you feeling underexposed. It's not that I have like a strong answer specifically, but he's going right there with guys like DJ Moore, Cooper Cup, who I actually prefer to Robert Woods. He goes, you know, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are in that tier, Tyler Lockett. So I just struggle to ever think that Robert Woods is my target. But at the same time, I am interested in this Rams offense. I like what Matt Stafford can do for this offense. I'm kind of betting on him to rejuvenate the offense in general. I am taking Tyler Higby. I am taking Cooper Cup. I am taking flyers on Xavier Jones. I have Daryl Henderson. I'm continuing to take him where it makes sense, where you know the tournament didn't start prior to the injury. So I like basically all these pieces of the Rams offense, but uh, yet I'm pretty underweight on Robert Woods. The reason that I don't like him as much as the other guys in the tier, I feel like are justified. He's yards per outruns declined for three straight seasons. Last year, he was at 1.6 yards per outrun. That was his lowest since 2015. He is 29 years old, so maybe not a great bet to turn around this trend. But at the same time, Last year, he had an ADOT of 6.7, which is the lowest of his career. In his first two years with the Rams, his ADOTs were 11.3 and 10.9. In those seasons, his yards per outrun were 2.28 and 1.97. So he was elite when he was actually used in the intermediate areas as opposed to just this extremely shallow role. And we know that that extremely shallow role is probably due to Jared Goff, whose version of a deep threat last year was Van Jefferson and Josh Reynolds when they had ADOTs of about 10. So with Matthew Stafford offering more of a deep element to the passing game, we could see Robert Woods get back to kind of an eight out of around 10 or 11, which I think could be hugely beneficial for him. And I don't want to miss out on a guy just because I happen to kind of have tiebreakers against him with about five or six different players in that tier. So I am trying to make myself take him a little bit more. Anytime he really falls past value, I'm starting to try to mix him in. You don't want to miss out on that guy, even though you like literally every other player. <laughs> exactly. So like, Pat, you just did a great job of kind of like outlining the like, like the underlying, like the micro reasons why, like the, the technical reasons you want to, you might want to avoid Robert Woods, but not want to avoid being like why you might like tie break against him. Whereas I think like the macro reason is he's just one of those guys that feels like a floor guy. And you, mm-hmm. you get like this excellent floor every year, but like it's so tempting, you know, to always just chase and chase and chase and try to maximize ceiling, even when there's nothing wrong with like a really high floor pick, especially someone who'd probably be your wide receiver too. He might end up some people's wide receiver ones, depending on how robust they go at the running back position. But he's one of those guys, yeah, where it's just kind of like weird feel reasons where I feel like you don't want to take it. It's probably a lot of the guys on this list we're like very solid players. And like, you kind of, if you dig into the numbers like you did, you find more reasons like, okay, this is actually mostly fine to take Robert Woods. I think this is like this, this weird, like nagging gut feeling that Robert Woods is only a floor player and not a ceiling player. Whereas we don't even really know what anyone's ceiling is in this offense anymore, since it could be just completely transformed uh, with a guy, Matthew Stafford, who, you know, kind of like actively hunts the deep ball and has stayed efficient with the deep ball in recent years. So Rob Wood, we kind of have to, we have to kind of you know, dust off some of the, get rid of some of these priors of like, well, there's no ceiling with Jared Goff. Cause we know the floor is there. He's an elite floor guy and he might actually have some ceiling this year. Yeah. With Woods, my only thing is like, as Pat was saying, he falls behind. It's not just like there's one or two guys I want to take over him. Everyone in this tier I want to take over. Like he hardly even fits into this tier. And it just, it blows my mind that people take Cooper Cup after him, that they take Robert Woods significantly ahead of him. Whereas Pat was saying, like, I I personally too have Cooper Cup ahead of him because last year they're almost dead even in in target share. They're almost dead even in air yard share. But then you got the extra boost in terms of red zone value significantly from Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup was more efficient on a yards per route run and a racer basis, the rate that he converts air yards to actual yards yards. So for me, if you're going to get one that's more efficient and these are just on the margins but this is the guy who goes significantly after him on his own team you're going to get one that's more efficient is going to be similar in volume and have higher touchdown upside 
I just struggle to like uh, to rein in my exposure to everyone else in his tier. And then you look at an offense that I think is similar in Tampa Bay. They're going to pass a lot. We at least hope they're going to pass a lot for LA. They have a top two receivers that we're not sure which one we want, but the quarterback is better there. I don't think the the offensive coordinator situation is massively different. Like I like Sean McVay, but at least like Bruce Arians and the overall offense is going to let Tom Brady huck it. So I'm perfectly fine taking the Tampa Bay receivers over Robert Woods. I'm perfectly fine taking Cooper Cup over Robert Woods. To me, it's it's not just like a, a coin flip, though. I think it's a it's a, a small minus EV bet to make within the receivers of his tier. Crane, real quick, will you just admit that you've changed your whole draft strategy? You're now robust RB, late round wide receiver, and you're overweight on Tutu Atwell and Deshaun Jackson. That's the real <laughs> no. reason. You're passing on Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Uh, now, the real reason is I can't stop taking DJ Moore. And so it's like one of these things where I feel proud of myself when I take Tyler Lockett and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Cooper Cup. I'm like, wow, I'm really getting mixing up my exposures here. Good for you. But then Robert Woods doesn't get in the mix because I just keep I my instinct is just to hammer DJ Moore as my wide receiver four. And also, I'm going with Pat's gut here. I like I like Darty's gut that says that there's like we're just never getting a 1500 yard season from Robert Woods. And I really like yeah. Robert Woods. I think he is a very talented player at what he does. But I just really struggled to envision at the end of the year in December. I'm like, how did I lose all my leagues? Oh, it's because Robert Woods put up 1600 <laughs> and 14 yeah. touchdowns. DJ yeah. Moore, even if you want to argue he's never going to get there on touchdowns, I think it's a bad argument. But I'll just grant it. it doesn't matter. He definitely has that 14 1500 yard upside because we know we've seen him be such a dominant alpha receiver. If he can just like push that a dot a little farther downfield or something, you know, or if he can just make a few more splash plays, there are so many outs for him. If the offense just overall takes a, if we get the Sam Donald to Ryan Tannehill leap, there are so many different avenues for DJ Moore or even like Higgins or Chase to mm-hmm. to make me look absolutely silly. And like Pat's, I, I'm in on Pat's gut. I'm right in there listening to it gurgle. On <laughs> Higgins and Chase are Woods. kind of. That's like where I get with Robert Woods. Like I kind of want to take Higgins, and I kind of want to take. Of course, Chase, I want to take Higgins. At that point, it feels a little, I mean, that's exactly what you're talking about. Pat. Like, that's where you're just chasing pure ceiling and just throwing that floor out the window, which maybe isn't prudent, but man, does it feel good. <laughs> I heard nothing, by the way, of the last few minutes that convinced me that any of you are going to take Robert Woods. <laughs> the conceit of the show is trying to get us to like correct some of the mistakes, my blind spots. Yeah. And we, we lead off with one where we're just like not a blind spot. We're yeah, so not, right. Not we're all right. We're just right. So <laughs> not happening. I mean, I will say, like, I don't want to be like hammer the same point you guys just did, but yeah, you look at his his stats year over year, and he's maxed out like twelve hundred yards and six touchdowns. Kind of does feel like that's the ceiling or something thereabouts, right? I'll say an interesting point with Robert Woods. This is after we thought he was maxed out as like an eight to nine hundred yard player in sure. Buffalo. Then he comes to L.A. and has this totally different gear, and now he's going to have this totally different gear with Matthew Stafford, and we'll all have zero shares and have lost our leagues. <laughs> Okay, next up, it's hard to have a conversation about the Steelers without bringing up Ben Roethlisberger's age or the condition of their offensive line. So, Kyle, how much does all of that play into you not drafting Deontay Johnson and explain why you are also worried you might be missing out? Yeah, I feel like we run into the same, uh, like, I like a receiver on this team, so I'm only going to target that receiver. And for me, that's been Chase Claypool. But the ability to draw targets, where, like I said with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, I think they project for a very similar amount of targets, but then there are some edges you can, like, efficiency edges you can find with Cooper Cup. I think it has to be the betting favorite to see Deontay Johnson lead this team in targets. Maybe not air yards, maybe not red zone looks. But I mean, when he was healthy last year, if he played over half the snaps, I believe it's about 10 games, he averaged like 11 targets. He was on pace in a 17-game season to have over 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns. I don't expect those numbers to to occur exactly because we know that they want to be more run-oriented, even if it's to their own detriment. But he's not being drafted as if he can be anywhere close to a 10 target per game kind of guy, which is exactly it's less than what we saw last year when he actually played the full game. So I think my exuberance for Chase Claypool, who has that, you know, the anti Robert Woods, that sexy downfield, he even has like the awesome touchdown equity on the goal line. Like Devontae Adams is one of the only players who gets that weird kind of goal line touchdown equity. That makes me want to really just fire off on Chase Claypool. But the ability to draw targets, like especially the ability to lead your team in targets is very important. Deontay Johnson has shown that. So I think that's the time where like, I I don't think Deontay Johnson is that, well, just get some targets and be a floor play. Getting 11 targets per game is a, is a ceiling outcome. That is not like a, Oh, he's going to be all right. If he actually goes out and does what he did last year when he was playing the full game, he'll crush. And that's something that 
I said, I don't see with Robert Woods. I do see this kind of punishing season coming in from Deontay Johnson, where I really feel like I had to have him. Even if I like Chase Claypool more, I think that is a blind spot for me. One of the things that's interesting about Deontay Johnson is that we've talked a lot about how earning targets is, is very important. And Ben Gretsch has done some really good work on this and, you know, targets per route run, looking at like how, on what percentage are you actually able to draw a target? Because getting open is a skill and, you know, having that mind meld with the quarterback is, is partly a skill. So there's like a, a real emphasis on trying to find these guys who can actually generate their own targets, get open. But then it always seems like, I feel like I'm like, but not Deontay Johnson. <laughs> it's like Deontay Johnson, we know gets open at will, but he only does it with like, you know, four yards down the field. And then he drops the ball half the time. So it's very frustrating, but the guy gets open. And, you know, to Kyle's point, like if that's upside. If you can get 11 targets in a game, like that's, that's the definition of upside. So it's, it's not very fun for me. I don't like to take Deontay Johnson either. He also has, it feels like he's gotten a little bit more expensive. Uh, I was drafting him a little bit more earlier in the offseason. I've also started to get very enthusiastic about Chase Claypool, which has made it hard to take Johnson. But one of the other things with Johnson is that I've been thinking more and more about Jerry Judy and like what his bull case is. And Jerry Judy, you know, struggled with drops last year too. Probably going to be used more shallowly. He's got Teddy Bridgewater. And I'm like, well, maybe he can turn in a Deontay Johnson type season. But he's not even that much less cheap than Deontay Johnson. <laughs> so, you know, my enthusiasm, is I'm like transferring enthusiasm I probably should have for Deontay Johnson to Jerry Judy just because he isn't Deontay Johnson. Meanwhile, Deontay Johnson's sitting there like half a round earlier and I don't have to project as much. So Deontay Johnson, for some reason, is a big blind spot for me as well. I think partly it's just because I'd much rather have Chase Claypool. And then last year, I wanted Juju as well over Deontay Johnson. So I have like a double teammate blind spot working against him. Uh, plus the shallow a dot plus you know just watching him the drops he got benched for drops like do i really want to draft a guy who got benched <laughs> for drops but at the same time I, I do think he has a pretty high ceiling and he's not that expensive so uh, i should probably have more of him there's so much fantasy jargon that has come out the past few years in crane i think you just created a new one and double teammate blind spot that's <laughs> become like a new piece of fantasy jargon that we have and with deontay i think like the macro sense with Deontay. So I said with Deontay, with Robert Woods, it's like, I think people just sit there and think like, well, he's not a ceiling player. I think like that, like gnawing, like gut feel with Deontay Johnson is just like this pervasive sense that last year was a career year. And that like things just can't possibly, a career year that had major red flags still, you know, he didn't even get a thousand yards and 144 targets. He had all the drops of which he was benched at one point. And then you look at all the changing variables where like, the Steelers are looking to establish it. They preach that from January on. They use their first round pick on a running back. You know, they're talking up Ben's arm being a little stronger, a year removed from the reconstructive elbow surgery, as in maybe there's not going to be just so many dump offs. It's still going to clearly be like a low A dot, much more conservative passing offense than it was during Ben Roethlisberger's prime. But like a belief that it can't be quite as underneath as it was last year. And then just, you know, you had the ascendant Chase Claypool. You have the Juju, Juju Smith-Schuster, who, again, was, like, basically a, a tight end last year. I mean, he averaged under nine yards per catch. He's, like, barely even, like, a good running back YPC. We know we are for catches. Not a predictive, like, good stat. But just indicating, like, how collapsed this offense had been last year. And basically the sense that it can't be that collapsed. The attempts are going to have to go down because they, they are finally – not finally, but they are reestablishing the run – and then a guy that yeah, who is like a hashtag known dropper. It just feels like last year was a career <laughs> year for Deontay Johnson. And that's probably like like the reason maybe we don't quite articulate, but just why no one wants to draft Deontay Johnson, basically. Just keeping score. So no one's drafting Robert Woods. No. I think Kyle I'm convinced Kyle is gonna be drafting Deontay Johnson. It did sound like Corrine and Corrine and Doherty, I, I think you guys are both still out from the sound of things. It's not happening for you guys. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a little bit more best ball exposure, but he probably will not be a part of of my any of my high stakes team. So Pat mentioned it's actually that is a thing. The DTMBS, the double teammate blind spot. It's actually I'm not sure how you didn't see that on Twitter. Uh, it's kind of all over. But I guess to me, like from what we saw last year, I feel better about uh, about taking Deontay ADP than I do Juju, which like that. It hurts somewhere deep in my core to not feel excited about Juju, but he like if anyone he like he's a player I've like so obviously seen the the best from, which hurts. Are you comfortable just saying like Deontay's going to be the odd man out at cost and taking Juju Claypool of this offense, uh, Kareem? 
I take uh, a lot of Claypool, but I don't take that much Juju, but he, he gets cheap um, in some drafts to where I will take Juju. Juju recently, I feel like has been easier to get access to because I can just sit back and if he ends up being that last wide receiver, there's sort of like a tier where there's almost no wide receivers left and Juju is sometimes one of the last one or two guys. So I scoop him up there pretty happily, kind of like in a Jarvis Landry type of, you know, in that type of range. Like he, he falls pretty far. That feels like a pretty nice price adjusted bet. Deontay Johnson never really falls. I think that's one of the other reasons I've had trouble getting exposure to him. Like rarely I'm sitting there like, oh, wow, Deontay Johnson. Like someone always scoops him up. So you kind of have to take him at cost to get him. And I was doing that earlier, but I, I just have had, had trouble generating enthusiasm. I mean, Chase Claypool, man. He looks off. I, so I, I, I want to draft him so bad. Yeah, We're all, everyone becomes well, a film guy. When I was, gonna, I was about to say we we all became film guys in the past ten minutes, and it's just mind blowing because well, like we are not oh, the we are not the film film guys. Look at us. We we don't play sports. We we have kids or just sit inside and don't look at the sun because it could shower some UV rays onto you. But when Chase Claypool comes up, we're all like, oh my god! You just watch. Look at his thighs. Look at the way he runs. <laughs> he had over two yards per route run. And- as a rookie, which has been a very bullish sign historically. It was so odd last year how Mike Tomlin goes, I think he's going to hit the rookie wall, so we're going to play him less. And then essentially forced him to hit the rookie wall. Like The reason he's hitting the rookie wall is because he's not on the field. So you now, but as as part of that weird process, we now have the opportunity for him to run a bunch more routes, and he was already hyper-efficient. So it's not just the film stuff, which also, I mean, did you see him in the preseason game? He looked pretty good. But, uh, there is some numbers to back this up as well. Like what he did as a rookie numbers wise is really impressive and opportunity wise, a lot of room to grow. All right. Next up, we have a guy who was the runaway second best player at his position last year, but our very own Pat Doherty has not been drafting him. And it does seem like Darren Waller is kind of an easy guy to forget about early in your draft. So Pat, tell us your story here. I'm sure he's not easy for the sharps to forget about because, you know, such huge positional advantage and we're at, you know, Kelsey's all alone atop the tight end tier, but then like Waller's kind of all alone, like in his own like second one player tier where he has like separated himself from like the Mark Andrews of the world. But it's just something about taking a tight end to me in like the late second or early third round, which is he's the wide receiver tw- or tight end number 22 overall player at underdog and number 30 overall player on Yahoo. So like the sharps mm-hmm. are bullish on him. Like the normal crowd is bullish on him. And just there's something about taking a tight end in like the second or third round who isn't Rob Gronkowski, who isn't Travis Kelsey, who isn't George Kittle, like players who've like demonstrated a 14 or 1500 yard ceiling. It's just so hard for me to do that, even though it makes like by the book sense. Like Darren Waller's basically like, he's become like prime era, like Jason Witten, basically. Like Jason Witten would catch a hundred balls like 1,100 yards for three or four seasons in a row during his prime. And that seems to be where Darren Waller is. And he was, he's the clear number one target for his offense, which in some way is another, like I make like a weird like point against him. Like this offense is so bad that like Darren Waller has to be like its number one target. <laughs> and like, I kind of like begin galaxy braining Darren Waller, but there's no real good case against Darren Waller. I mean, he's established this extremely high, like, like I said, Witten-esque floor, he is the unquestioned number one weapon in his offense. I don't know. I just always, I'm like always just shooting for like wide receiver, like skyscraper ceiling in that second round, other than taking Darren Waller. And I'm afraid it's going to come back to haunt me. This has been a bit of a problem for me too, because I have, I have the same inclination to go wide receiver there. And I can just tell myself, Hey, grab Kittle. If you, you know, if he makes it back to you, just grab Kittle. So I have a lot of Kittle because he's cheaper, but Waller is a slightly better bet than Kittle, I think. I agree with the market on that. So it would be kind of foolish to end up with a portfolio that's like very heavy on the guy that I think is a slightly worse bet and not really have much of the guy who I think is a better bet just because of the the way the ADP broke down. Even I think some of the downside scenarios on the Raiders might ultimately help Waller. Like their offensive line looks really bad, potentially, like they kind of blew up the whole thing. They have There's this... nothing they could do about it. You know, their offensive line was just uh, bad last year. And I, I was making a joke about how they blew up their great offensive line. For no yeah, reason. it's for no reason. And they brought the uh, Leatherwood is, you know, the guy they reached on and that he's going to be a starter for them. Like the whole thing is just kind of they're relying on 38 year old Rich Incognito. 
to start at guard. Like it's a there's a real problem there with the offensive line. Things could pretty quickly get away from them there. But John Gruden wants to establish it. I mean, he truly does. He wants to run in neutral game situations. So actually, if they're getting blown out a lot or if they're just having trouble scoring and have a ton of garbage time, like that might be good for Darren Waller, where volume can go so far for tight ends. Like if he was a wide receiver, maybe we would prefer him to be on a team that's going to score a bunch of points. But honestly, like targets are just so powerful at tight end that it's hard to see really how he fails as long as he stays healthy. Now, he isn't practicing right now. And we do have a little bit of an injury like question mark with him, which would be probably, you know, like every player, that's the the primary route to failure. But um, other than that, it is hard to see him not like being a, a pretty solid pick this year. Yeah, it's hard to just construct a negative case. Like I didn't even really I mean, I didn't even really want to or attempt to do that in my outlining. It's just like for whatever reason, like one of those things where I just never hit select on Darren Waller. Yeah, he's a guy I, I'm probably maybe with the field, just one out of 12 drafts. I get him maybe even a little bit more because, yeah, I, I don't get the I just struggle to find almost any negative case outside of this injury thing, which kind of sucks. But for now, no one really seems to be like just sounding the alarms that he's gonna, like, you know, going to miss week one or anything. Uh, he's, you know, he's been in the offense for years. I'm not awfully concerned that missing training camp is bad for him. So putting that aside, like, I mean, he is basically the tight end one by volume last year. He was one target behind Travis Kelsey. He was second in air yards. He was first in red zone targets. And like, as much as we give Derek Carr uh, crap for not being great, like it's pretty good last year. He was top. He was number six in yards per attempt. Like he doesn't throw a ton of interceptions. I think he's a perfectly equitable quarterback for you to be tied to as the number one target and the number one target among all tight ends in terms of your market share numbers. I, like I don't think there's reasons to really doubt his efficiency. There's not reasons to doubt his volume. Which if it won't lead the league, it will be second. So I think if you're looking for an early tight end, I feel like he's a better bet at cost than George Kittle. Kyle thinks Derek Carr should play 15 more years, by the way. Um, book that, write that down. How else are we going to get them to seven wins? Maybe eight. <laughs> I'm sold on Kyle and Karain. Pat, though, I heard you make the, the moment you made the Witten comparison, I think your chances of ever drafting Waller died right there. Well, the, like I heard Witten became like a slur, like late in his career, but like, I mean, his prime, which the Zoomers will not remember, you know, like this is probably still maybe the first George Bush term. Like he was a thousand yards, hundred catches, three or four seasons in a row. So that was meant to be a positive comment and not like trying to conjure uh, memories of late career. Uh, Jason. No, I heard the enthusiasm wheeze out of you as you were saying his name. It, you know, it was an audible gasp. Pat is right though. I literally had to look up Jason when I was like, was he really that good back in the day? And I was like, oh yeah, he is. But I will say, I believe Darren Waller's uh, 2020 season was better than any of Jason Witten's, uh, his, his career. It was better than anything he had, he's ever done. Not to discredit him. It's just that Waller already uh, had a better season. And I still think there's room for him to just run hot on efficiency because that's what volume affords you is like inefficient seasons on good volume are survivable where like if he just happens to run good in the red zone which just happens to some players he could be you know 12 14 touchdown kind of guy so i think he's like extreme jason Witten. you know just imagine jason Witten mowing his lawn but fast <laughs> riding riding mower jason <laughs> riding. so many images scarred into my brain of late career jason Witten catching like a six yard pass and falling down that's like all i can picture it's easy to forget that he was good uh, you know, like you're like a Gen Xer. You know, you should have memories of uh, Jason Witten uh, being good. Yeah, no. I've got memories of Jason Witten. They're just not your memories. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have more players to discuss. We're just going to take a very quick break. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com 
Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. If you are looking for a unique fantasy football experience, travel to Canton, Ohio the weekend of this weekend, August 15th, 2021, for the Fantasy Football Expo. From fantasy drafts to parties to tickets to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, it's going to be fantasy football's greatest weekend nbc sports edge will be there in full force you will have a chance to meet our edge team face to face and ask questions so do not miss out go to the fantasyfootballexpo.com and get your tickets today and just a heads up this week only we have a promo code fbpod20 for 20 percent off annual subscriptions at nbc sports edge that is fbpod20 this week for 20 percent off okay we had zero zero running backs in the first half of that episode a staple of this show in general <laughs> Exactly. But we are going running back heavy the rest of the way, actually. Karain, you have nominated the name Damian Harris. Make the case against him and for him, which I guess is kind of what we're doing today. First of all, I'm really happy with the way we structured this podcast. It's a very strong structure, uh, well-established structure. We start with the non-running backs. Now we hammer running backs, make up some of those points, the volatility. Uh, I, I like it. Damian Harris is a guy that Josh Norris has been making the case for Damian Harris all offseason. I've mostly we don't ever talk about Josh, by the way. We don't, we don't mention that name on this podcast. No, we, uh, well, we love uh, Josh. Yeah, a certain someone has been making a very strong case for uh, Damian Harris. I kind of have my head in the sand a bit because I like Ramondre Stevenson, the guy they drafted in the, in the fourth round, kind of had thoughts that maybe he could work more and more into the offense. He has not had a great camp. The running backs coach was asked what he could work on. He said everything. Uh, he banged up a little yeah. bit. Uh, he might get the treatment that happened to Damian Harris in his rookie year where he really didn't play. Uh, Sonny Michelle has looked better than expected, but we saw last year that Harris was way ahead of Sonny Michelle. I don't really have any worries that Sonny Michelle is going to come in and you know have this resurgence and really take back some of what Harris had taken from him last year. And that basically just leaves James White as like a passing down guy who's going to get work there for sure. But Harris is getting to a point where we don't even like need him to be a three down running back. Like he can be a two down running back and totally pay off on his ADP. And like to kind of paraphrase the case that Josh has been making, this is a Patriots team that wants to be run heavy. This is the beat writers all say that Harris is the guy. They're going to be running out of 12 personnel a lot this year, which is going to be a major change from last year now with the Janu and Hunter Henry signings. So we're going to be looking at a, a team that might be a little bit better at what they want to do, which is, which is run the ball a lot. They have a good offensive line as well. And then you also have the situation where Cam Newton, who was really sucking a lot of value out of the backfield overall, not just with not throwing to the running backs a lot, but also taking those goal line opportunities, who's really kind of ruining the backfield value, he might not be playing a ton this year. I mean, it's possible. It's possible he's not even the week one starter. Uh, I think at some point we're going to see Mac Jones this year. When we do, we're going to see more value for this backfield. So in a, in a way, Harris's value could actually – grow throughout the season in the way that we you know are attracted to some of these rookie profiles where their value grows throughout the season if mac jones comes in damon harris's value might grow you know into the playoffs which is kind of a nice uh little extra addition when you draft him the other thing is that harris was pretty good last year he's running back 13 in the nfl uh next gen success rate he is not really much of a pass catcher but he did have better yards per hour run last year than guys like Joe Mixon, David Montgomery, Claude Edwards-Hilaire. He didn't embarrass himself. He only ran 50 routes, but you could imagine him running a few more routes, being involved probably still in an, in an early down capacity, but getting some targets within that role. And I think the thing that's sort of bothering me is that I've had a blind spot for this guy, and he actually, it's like the exact same bet is the bet I was making nonstop last year in Ronald Jones, where you have this early round, early down running back who we know is not going to be like a true three down guy, but probably has a bit more receiving upside than people are really giving him credit for. He's talented in what he actually does. And the team is very likely to use him pretty heavily at times in that early down role. And you're getting him at a very palatable cost in the main event draft that most I'm most recently in, we could have had him in the eighth round, which is pretty nice. Uh, we ended up taking Michael Gallup instead, which I'm fine with. But 
if you need a running back in the eighth round and you can get a guy like Damian Harris, who's going to be a pretty solid out-of-the-gate starter who might actually be more valuable as the season goes on, kind of the exact type of profile that you want to be targeting when you go with a wide receiver heavy start. You don't have too much running backs. Like he's, it's kind of a nice blend. So my blind spot, I think, is clearing up a bit because I'm not taking Ramondre Stevenson so much anymore. I'm kind of ready to reevaluate what to do here with the Patriots backfield. Ready? I'm ready to listen, Josh. Uh, <laughs> I'm rethinking this thing, and uh, I think I'm going to take Damian Harris a bit more, especially in underdog where he's falling now, uh, pretty pretty far. Usually, you can get you know not always, but you can get him in the eighth round there too sometimes in the late eighth round. So he's he's easy to get exposure to. I think he makes sense for a lot of the builds that I want to do anyway. He's just kind of like at the end of like the guaranteed carries zone and drafts where like the guys going right after him or Michael Carter, who I guess you could maybe argue as more upside. Raheem Mostert, who like a similar role, you know, like such a checkered health history. James Robinson, where we don't quite know really what the role is going to be. AJ Dillon. Pat's boy, Ronald Jones, Zach Moss, Melvin Gordon, Tony Pollard's like, well, that's the company he's keeping. Yeah. Like, I think it's very easy to you know, pull the lever, so to speak for Damian Harris, where even though it is the Patriots, he seems pretty much locked into those early down carries for like Pat said, an offense that still wants to be run heavy. Yeah, I like the the Ronald Jones comp. When you were saying that, I thought of uh, Chris Carson, especially early career Chris mm. Carson. He was actually pretty solid as a receiver last year. But that early career Chris Carson was just like, we know he's going to soak up a high majority of his team's carries. They should be relatively efficient carries, maybe for different reasons. But I do think this should be a successful running attack. Like you said, they clearly have designed their offense around being able to run over their opponents. But now they'll just get to do it with the running back once Cam Newton is no longer under center. And he's just so much cheaper than that. Like he's just discount Chris Carson or, or discount last year's Ronald Jones, where it's like the, the market never really steamed him like it steamed those guys or like it just has faith in Chris Carson being a really good running back, which he is. But I think Damian Harris has shown, like you said last year, Pat, that like Damian Harris is probably also a good running back. He should dominate the first and second down work. And at his price, you don't need anything more than that. So he's just taking such a cheaper bet on a, on a Chris Carson archetype on last year, Ronald Jones on, on, you know, JK Dobbins, Derek Henry, Nick Chubb. Yeah. He could be those. No, just not, not the end of those guys, but Chris Carson, I actually think like it's, you're just getting the same type of role as someone like that early career. Chris Carson, assuming he doesn't catch a ton of passes the same as Ronald Jones. I think it's just a, a smart calculated bet. It's not that we're super excited about him, but the price doesn't seem to really care at all that he's locked in for relatively efficient first and second down work. Yeah. This archetype is one that I, I want cl- cheaply. But when it's available yeah. cheaply, like it's it's pretty useful. And I think this is the closest we've gotten to universal agreement on a player. And I also just want to say quickly about Sony Michelle. You mentioned Crane. I know there is talk that he may not even make the final roster. Would it not be the most Patriots backfield thing ever for him no. not only to make the final roster, but score three touchdowns in week one? It just feels like that would be the most Patriots backfield turn of events I could think of. We're headed for some undead zombie Sony Michelle action for sure. All right, Kyle, your second player is a guy who for a second season in a row is generating quite a bit of training camp hype. That would be Zach Moss of the Bills, injured right now, but putting that aside or not putting it aside, I think last year's flop in a lot of ways is enough reason for plenty of people to justify ignoring him this year. But maybe that justification isn't so sound. Tell us your thinking on Moss overall. Yeah, I think it's it's sort of that same zone of running backs, maybe a little after. And I think there's, there's probably less guarantee with Moss, but there also almost has to be more upside because he plays for an offense that could lead the league in scoring. Whereas much as like, I think Mac Jones is probably a bit of an underrated prospect. They're not, they're never like competing for top three, top five, number one in scoring. And I think there's a very realistic scenario where Moss just pushes, pushes Devin Singletary to the fringes. Like, we look at what they did last year and they were completely uncomfortable using Devin Singletary in the red zone, for instance. I mean, Zach Moss missed, I believe, three games and then a chunk of another one still led his team in red zone attempts. And they used him just as much on the goal line as they as they did Josh Allen. So I think if you can just soak up, if you just completely push Singletary to the fringes in terms of red zone work, that gives you a ton of upside. And I think he was probably, at least in my opinion, he looked like a better, more whole prospect coming out of college than Devin Singletary did. Like he was a really good pass catcher in college, nearly hit 30 receptions in his final season. And I think even though we don't expect them to throw to their running backs a ton, he has a, a pseudo three down workhorse type of profile. Even if he never achieves that at his price, just like Harris, he doesn't have to. He can just be a guy that stumbles into a bunch of touchdowns because the guys who score a lot of touchdowns typically play in offenses that score a lot of points. Like Aaron Jones is really good, but the reason he has 20 touchdowns in his range of outcomes 
is because he plays for maybe the best offense in the NFL. That's why we like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire so much. But I don't think we give either one. If you wanted to even make this argument for Singletary, honestly, I'd be okay with that. Because I think it's just the fact that even if this team passes way more, they almost lead the league in pass run percent. That still leaves a lot of touchdown equity for two backs who cost almost nothing to acquire. I I prefer Moss, even though he's much more expensive, because I think we've seen what they're going to do with Singletary, which is continue to phase him down. But if you want to make that argument for Singletary, I really just think finding as many touches as you can on offenses that are going to be top five in scoring should kind of be a priority. And we don't seem to have given that credit to Moss or Singletary, but for me, it's pretty clearly Moss, where we have given that credit to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Aaron Jones has earned that credit by showing us what a, uh, even not like a three down back, just a guy who gets a lot of touches on a great offense can do. So I'm trying to get more into Moss after not really appreciating what he could be up until, you know, maybe the past few weeks I've been drafting. Thinking like you said, the problem is that you, you can construct a non-crazy case for Singletary, like is the problem where a lot of, a lot of those do kind of like to weird, like minor injury issues. Zach Moss said near the end of last year, I believe, but and they basically played to a standstill. Devin Singletary kind of had the lead, like the most critical portion of the season where Zach Moss had like the red zone lead, but like Josh Allen kind of more had the red zone lead where like Devin Singletary had like the third down lead. Like Zach Moss is maybe not that explosive of a player. Uh, Like it was a good sign for Zach Moss that they didn't add like serious competition, unless it's finally Matt Breida season, which I think some of us all secretly hope that it is. Uh, We we love you, Matt. We're thinking about you. And it's just like, I just feel like I don't, I don't know how to separate these two still, where I feel like the bills will be all too comfortable to like game flow it, hot hand it basically and I do think Singletary might have a, like a decisive advantage on third downs. Decisive could be like famous last words in this offense. Whereas I don't even know if Zach necessarily has like the decisive edge on early downs. And so, I mean, I'm just doing like the normie thing and avoiding the situation completely. To me, I mean, why find value? That's, that's someone else's <laughs> job, you know, find value. I just, I just say there's players I'm not going to draft and then I don't draft them. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm kind of kidding, but I'm also like, like I will have zero. Uh, Zach Moss this season just because it hurts my brain to try to figure it out this one's kind of fun because this is the only player on this list that I'm actually overweight on oh, but I, here I, we have, go. I have Zach Moss I've oh. been drafting Zach Moss now I wasn't drafting him throughout the entire offseason but like probably three four weeks ago I, I kind of bought in uh, I think the the upside that I see I mean you know we, we just saw them sign Josh Allen to a long-term contract the idea that, you know, maybe they just don't use him quite as much around the goal line. And like, like I was saying, we want these running backs. who could score a bunch of touchdowns, be on good offenses. You could definitely um, see Moss kind of create more value from this backfield. If he's good, right. He has the potential, not Singletary to take a second year lead. Singletary had that potential last year and didn't really show much improvement from his rookie year. If anything, he was, he was more interesting in his rookie year than in his sophomore season. Moss, I think, has the potential to show a bit of more of a well-rounded game and show that he's ready to handle some of those really high-leverage opportunities around the goal line. If he is, it would just kind of make sense for them to give him more of that work, and he could probably mix in enough receiving on top of that. He's not going to end up being like a, to- a total true workhorse, but if he's getting you know a couple receptions a game and he has a lock on the goal line duties and it's the Bills, then you know this could be a pretty valuable role and he's cheap. He's like real cheap. You can get him in like the ninth round. You can get him like in the late ninth round, sometimes the 10th. Like you can you can load up on Zach Moss if that is what you want to do. Singletary is also cheap. I have Singletary as well. Uh, he fell to us in the 12th round of one of the main events that we've done. But he, I don't think, offers the same upside. And so I do prefer Moss even at cost. I think Moss has is the only guy who, if one of these guys emerges – and it's their backfield this season without the other guy getting hurt. We know that that can only really be Zach Moss. So, you know, I think the extra premium that you have to pay to get him is really not pricing all of that upside in. Okay, I can definitely identify with his next name on our list because there is just nothing thrilling about calling out the name Miles Gaskin somewhere in the middle of a draft. Pat Doherty, what are you worried you might be missing out on when it comes to Gaskin? Make the uh, make well, the argument. Take people behind the curtain a little bit. I didn't have much time to prep today, and I could not even remember who my second player was. Uh, and I'm very glad as Miles Gaskin. What a yeah, great surprise! I'm very glad as Miles Gaskin, just because he's like the archetype for so many different tropes. Where like 
He's like just the replacement level player. He's like the jack of all trades, master of none. Like he's just like the guy who was in the right place at the right time in this backfield last year. And that was good. He returned. He was like an RB2, like streaming, spot starting, like waiver wire hero. But just like, is there really that big of a difference between Miles Gaskin and Salvin Ahmed? Uh, is there really that big of a difference between Miles Gaskin on early downs and Malcolm, or even third down? Is there that big of a difference between Miles Gaskin and Malcolm Brown, someone who kind of got some like under the radar hype from the Dolphins coaching staff in the spring? We haven't heard a ton about that this summer. And I wonder why. Yeah, yeah, I mean, good point. Uh, it's like Miles Gaskin is just like, he's not the kind of guy who's like ever going to like put the competition away. At least that's how I think we, it's still, he could be one of those guys that just there wasn't a whole lot of early career buzz. Even after he had some success, we write him off and then he just goes on to be like a solid player. But there's just what is outstanding kind of like in Miles Gaskins, his resume that makes you think like this is a guy who's going to hold this job no matter what all year long. And just someone I've like been happily every time letting someone else take the plunge. Now, there are some Miles Gaskin like, truthers out there, people who do believe in Miles Gaskin who are giving him a lot more credit than me. Um, but he's just someone. He says every draft, there's just someone who's like more and going to be more into Miles Gaskin than me and uh, basically close to zero shares. Yeah, I mean, I, this is one where we're kind of falling back into the Robert Woods territory. I, I can't really sell you on Miles Gaskin. I'll try, though. Miles Gaskin was at a minimum really good in college. Four consecutive seasons of over 1,200 rushing yards. Not bad as a pass catcher either. 19, 19, 21 receptions. I mean, he, he has that profile of the kind of guys we want to get where he has been nothing but a workhorse ever since we've known him. Since the day I heard about Miles Gaskin was the day I heard he was a workhorse going back to his time at Washington. However, that's it though. That's all I can tell you is that he used to be very good. The NFL with a, a seventh round pick deemed that he wasn't actually that good. And then by him not emerging until late in the season, again, told us like he is a reserve option. He was not, you know, he's not the plan. So I don't know if you really want to lean on that college profile, but then not take into the context that, that the NFL actually didn't think it was that valuable. Really go for it. Have fun. But he 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 fits all the tropes, as you said. He's a dead zone back. He was one of these, like, you know, these partial breakouts. But we see that, you know, the C.J. Anderson, the Justin Forsett types. Like, I've been burned by this guy too many times before. I get why I get why we used to be excited for him, but it's priced out 10 times over. So I, I think, like, I maybe got auto-drafted him once, and it was a rough day. So... <laughs> Yeah, he's going in a range where he is starting to fall like an underdog in the puppy. Everything's kind of all these dead zone running backs are kind of falling out of the dead zone, um, or at least some of them are in most drafts. But even when that's happening, I'm still like scooping up like Mike Davis. I've like even, you know, Josh Jacobs. I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm never really getting exposure to these guys. And it's like, oh, I guess I'll get a little exposure. Like, here's my chance. And I'm usually taking those guys over Gaskin. So even in those situations, I'm not taking Gaskin. I do think that's a leak. I think I need, like, when I'm given Gaskin at a real cheap cost, I need to scoop him up. I have this article coming out tomorrow on NBC Sports Edge about, as a follow-up to the legendary Upstart article that I had out last month, of what the profile is of these guys who produce the massive landscape-altering, win-you-your-league, truly, type of seasons. And, I mean, a big part of it is their role since 2009 – 15 of 16 of these guys have had four plus receptions per game. 78% uh, of these guys since since 2000 have had at least two carries, uh, two opportunities inside the 10 yard line per game. So the, you know, having both of those is just massively important. Gaskin was in that profile. He had 4.1 receptions per game. He had over two uh, green zone, uh, you know, inside the 10 yard yard line opportunities per game last year. Very rare counter argument to like his elite workload last year is basically like nah it won't happen again but like what if it does i mean if it does i mean he only played 10 games last year if he plays a full season and gets that workload he will smash his adp like he was efficient last year using rotavis's metric uh fancy points over expectation he was actually efficient throughout the, the entire season um so it's not like he he fell on his face in this workhorse role he he, he wasn't incredible in it uh, he probably they probably shouldn't be using him exclusively around the goal line. Does seem pretty decent as a receiver. So you know I understand I'm one of the people very skeptical of the idea that he's able to maintain this status quo. But I think it's important to remember that the status quo is the profile of an elite running back. So 
if he maintains the status quo, like we're all going to look real, real bad without Miles Sanders in our portfolio. So this is a guy who had nearly a thousand yards from scrimmage in his 10 games. And I wonder if the missed games are knocking his ADP even further down than it would be. And to that end, Corrine, you just mentioned like, it seems like there is a sweet spot where you should be taking Gaskin. What's that number in terms of ADP? I mean, if he's in the seventh round, I think it's kind of a smash. I know he doesn't usually go there. Um, but again, in some of these kind of wide receiver heavy rooms, you will see him fall there. I, and I haven't been making him priority in that range. I do. I honestly have a mistake. I think if I get any time I get a chance with him in the seventh round, uh, I do want to scoop him up. And you'll see him in the main event. He's going uh, in the sixth at times, which is still very much the dead zone. I mean, you're passing on some real wide receivers in that range, but. I think he's defensible still, even in the sixth. Now, if he's going in fifth, you'll also see him go uh, in high stakes. Uh, I'm out. I'm out at that at that price. But uh, in one of the main events that we did, he fell to the sixth twelve. Uh, that's pretty good. I I, I kind of you know feel like maybe we should have taken him in in the sixth, in the late sixth. Uh, certainly, if he falls all the way into the early seventh, uh, I think he's almost a no brainer at that point. Okay, there's one other name I wanted to mention here, and I know, Pat Doherty, you almost brought him up also. That would be one Adam Thielen. Now, this is he's coming off a year where his value was really carried by touchdowns to an extreme extent. 14 touchdowns for Thielen, had just 74 catches and 925 yards. I get the argument against him. Number one, he's just a little boring. Number two, we can't bank on those touchdowns being repeatable. At the same time, I was reading the Vikings team preview on NBC Sports Edge written by a guy who we recently fired. I, I shouldn't say his name for legal reasons. But he cited Arif Hassan from The Athletic pointing out that Thielen is still going to be a big factor for the Vikings in the red zone. That is not going to change. In fact, Arif Hassan said, I'd imagine red zone opportunities for Thielen are more likely to increase than decrease. So still baking in some regression. He's not going to get 14 touchdowns again. Let's say he scores eight or something like that instead of 14, just throwing out a number. Are we overlooking this guy at our own peril still? Crane? <laughs> I don't know if there's this concept called age and uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's have a hard time. I'm not drafting Adam Thielen. Uh, Who is? I think Daigle might be. Yeah, (laughs) Is anyone? I'm actually comfortable with Thielen. Like when you look at his his market share numbers last year, they were incredible. You don't find guys who get as many as like high of a percentage of their passing attack as Adam Thielen in the rounds Adam Thielen goes. He was top 15 in target share, in in air yard share. He was number two in red zone target share. And I believe he's tied first in end zone targets. And like, yeah, I don't think he is going to lead the league in receiving touchdowns or whatever. You know, I don't think he's going to even be top five. He doesn't have to be, though. It's so much priced in that uh, I'm comfortable taking him as ADP. I'm not dying to get him, even though I just said how he is so far ahead in terms of uh, market share metrics of his ADP and the similar guys in that range. I'm not completely dying to get him because he's in a tier of, of other receivers I like a lot. But he falls to the back end of that tier, which I think is correct, even if, uh, and that's the tier I'm targeting of receivers. And he falls to the back end of that, you know, chase or the middle range of that Chase Higgins Moore type of archetype. And he gets so much of a really efficient passing attack, even if they don't throw a lot. It's so concentrated in Minnesota and they do it so well, like utilizing play action that. For me, I don't get, uh, you know, it's kind of like the the Cooper Cup situation. He's got enough volume to justify more than justify his ADP. And he's a receiver in the running back dead zone range, which uh, that's the profile kind of guys I want. Guys who get a lot of work, and I don't think they have the systematic risk. He had such a high target share last year, but then still, you know, didn't even get a thousand yards. And he's on the wrong side. It's weird since he had that, you know, totally insane beginning to the 2018 season where he had 100 yards, eight games in a row. And then he had that really bad, kind of inexplicably bad second half of the 2018 season where he was basically like a wide receiver 3-4 in fantasy. And he's just like never completely rebounded from that where he's like never completely like reestablished like big time spiked week potential. He did it with the touchdown sometimes, but not really with like the compiling. And like, you know, living on touchdowns is so dangerous to receiver. But with Kyle Rudolph gone, like 10 is achievable again, which would be a, a gangbusters number. That makes you like a wide receiver too, just like right off the bat. But it is this dangerous where he's kind of like living off these touchdowns. It seems like they want to pass like even less this year. Like they just dislike Kirk Cousins so much. Like Mike Zimmer can basically hide, barely conceal like his disdain for Kirk Cousins. He does not like Kirk Cousins like as a human being and does not want to be passing the ball with Kirk Cousins. And 
yeah, the age and like the fact that I, I don't feel like like Adam Thielen's like having like a, he's not like a hundred and fifty yard game threat anymore. Like a spiked week for him is like two touchdowns, and that's just like a really really tough recipe. And so I can see why there are people, including myself, who just like talk themselves out of Adam Thielen every time he's one of one of the options when you're on the clock. Yeah, he he's really tough because I do think he has systemic risk. He turns thirty one this month, and like. Is he gonna (laughs) and is he gonna bury you if you don't take him? Like you know, to your saying, like a spike two weeks, two touchdowns. He doesn't he doesn't really get there with yards. You also have a situation where the real Jason Witten comp, Kyle Rudolph, is now out of town, and so you've got Irv Smith. Irv Smith is going to be used more, I think, more effectively around the goal line. Like I'm more worried. Like if I need my wide receiver score touchdowns, like Kyle Rudolph's out there, not worried. If Irv Smith's out there, I'm more worried. Plus, we have Justin Jefferson in his second year. I mean, the guy gets open at will. Like, you would think that they're going to use him a little bit more than they did last year in those same uh, areas of the field. That's got to hurt Thielen to some extent. I don't think he can really keep up with an emerging Justin Jefferson in that way. Uh, and yeah, overall, we're, we're nervous about how this, how much this offense might pass. So there's just – he does feel like a pretty easy fade to me in – the range where he's going because he's going like you know you can it's like Adam Thielen or Brandon Ayuk well like who can actually bury you this season if you don't have them like Brandon Ayuk can bury you if you don't have them if this <laughs> offense ends up scoring a ton of points if Ayuk's a superstar emerging wide receiver which he very well might be like you could be kicking yourself for not having enough Brandon Ayuk Thielen at most you can be like ah yeah I guess Thielen was there that would have been nice if I took him instead of Ayuk who was a who was a bust right you know or there's some guys there's some more boom bust profiles in this range but I just don't think we're going to look back and be like looking at round four, like who had Adam Thielen? Cause that's the guy you needed this year. <laughs> I just don't see that. So uh, I'm, and, he, and he's too pricey. I think he's, he's too pricey to where like, yeah, he can't, if he was going around six or seven, I would start to feel like, Hey, you know, I don't need this big hit, but I actually do think he's in a range where you really do want a big hit. Do we like him more or less than Robert Woods? I feel like that is the perfect litmus test for these guys. Bobby like trees all the way. Real full circle moment, too. Real full circle moment for this episode. Bobby Trees all the way. And Kyle, it sounds like the Pats decided that, unfortunately, uh, you have been let go. Um, so <laughs> oh, sorry about seriously? that. Seriously? Again? Yeah. <laughs> sorry. I mean, without Denny, I'm just you know, drunk with power. Without Denny, I had to fire someone. So. <laughs> NBC's going to have to fold if you're not it, careful, man. I know. <laughs> it's just fired everyone. This all right, guys. Welcome problem. back to the Patrick Doherty, uh, the Power Hour, where it's just Pat Doherty. Uh, we, he has to edit it and produce it and then post it because no one else works here. <laughs> the thing is, the paperwork takes so long that there's kind of a latency where he's always got someone around. He's gumming up the system like a French civil servant or something. Like, we're just never going to get him out of here. And he does seem like he'd love bureaucracy. <laughs> Did we get, was everyone pro Robert Woods? No, I'm Adam, Adam Thielen. Thielen. He literally is like so, he has so much a higher share of his team's offense. It could fall back. Like Robert Woods wasn't top 50 in air yard share. And sure, it's going to go, like the ADOT's going to go up. But like, he's like an answer. Like he's like not even close to the range that we think of as like Tyler Lockett as this like high ADOT, like exciting number two. Even if you say Adam Thielen isn't that, there's like a hierarchy of number twos. And Adam Thielen to me, uh, just based on his market share last year, which killed Robert Woods, it's not close, is is to me so far ahead uh, of Robert Woods, who's just, uh, he's like Juju Smith-Schuster. So you're just not going to have any Robert Woods because if he's no. falling all the way to where Thielen goes and you're not taking him, you're literally never no. drafting him. Why would I? I'll take Russell Gage eight rounds later. <laughs> I'm sorry, Robert. <laughs> I mean, his, his nickname's uh, Bobby Trees. Like, like, that's a pretty cool nickname. We gotta we gotta give him a little bit of respect. I believe we have a quick programming note for next week. Pat Doherty, you want to hit that, and then let's quickly hit anything we want to mention on NBC Sports. Yeah, due to travel related to the Fantasy Football Expo in Canton, Ohio, August 14th and 15th this weekend, uh, we will not have the podcast on Monday. We're still going to have three shows next week. We're going to have Mr. Crane on Tuesday, uh, Mr. Straup on Wednesday, a bonus Wednesday show instead of Monday, and then Mr. Doherty, if I've not fired myself, next Thursday, so... Still have three shows next week. Just one on Wednesday instead of Monday. Anyone want to mention anything on NBC Sports Edge before we leave? I will plug this article that I have coming out tomorrow again. Uh, Follow-up to the Legendary Upside article. Went through 21 seasons of uh, NFL running backs. Figured out the profile of these guys who just explode for the massive 
uh, legendary seasons that, you know, are kind of the whole point of taking these guys in the early rounds in the first place. Um, so that that was pretty exciting, pretty fun to dive through. I, I went deep, deep in the weeds there. So I feel like I've, I've covered basically all the bases and uh, that'll be out tomorrow morning. And by the way, I don't want to put words in Pat Doherty's mouth, but a double plug typically is fireable. So, Pat, I don't know if you want to start the paperwork. Right. I, I will. I, I, I like Denny. I have lawyers, too. And uh, or no, I was thinking you were talking to me of a double plug. Sorry, yeah, Crane. I just took it for granted that Crane was already fired. Um, for something he said about Zach Moss, he was already out of here. So, yeah, that's fair. Kyle. You got anything? Uh, you can done? check out Bet the Edge. I was on the, the mega show with Daigle talking about some player props yesterday. You can check that out. And I'll be back on tomorrow talking about some more betting stuff heading into the season. So so go ahead and check out Bet the Edge. And, uh, you know, tune in for not only me, but also other people who are smarter than me. All right. That is going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a second to rate and review us as well. Thanks to everyone for listening on the podcast and watching live on YouTube. Pat, Pat, Kyle. Thanks, guys. See you next week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.